Welcome to yet another episode of Shortcast Over Coffee. Today, my guests are Clinton Sereho and Bianca Gomes of the band Shore Police. The duo have composed music for notable recent movies like Jaane Ja, Bob Biswas and Dobara. In this episode, I will talk to them about their work as a male-female band, which is quite rare, and also their experience with popular projects like Coke Studio and various ad jingles. We also talk about Clinton's associations with A.R. Rahman and Vishal Bharadwaj and how early exposure to Western music influenced Bianca's career. Please do like, share and subscribe this channel as it will help us get such great guests on the show. For all the audio files, do check out the show Shortcast Over Coffee on top podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, etc. Now, without further ado, let's dive right in. Hello, we have Shore Police duo with us, Clinton and Bianca. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hi, Bala. Nice to meet you. Lovely, Lovely to, to be, be here. here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, Shore Police has had an interesting journey. Um, it started off around two, 2018. Is that right? Uh, and now it's been five years. Uh, how did it all start? Uh, what was the seed that uh, germinated this idea? How did you guys meet? Actually, we met many years ago, way before uh, the lockdown and 2018 and all of that stuff. I think maybe like about 20 years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, Clinton used to do a lot of uh, commercials at that time. And uh, we, I think we met through common friends um, about 20 years ago. We were doing some gospel stuff together. He would bring me on to sing in little ensembles uh also for ads when at the time when he was doing a lot of advertising and uh that's pretty much how we started working together but um it sort of got into i think maybe coke studio was yeah, i mean i started calling her to do a lot of jingles uh, and, and stuff and then we did coke studio right yeah that was in, i think 10 years 2012 2013 i think yeah 2013 because you know i have such vivid memories of that uh, coke studio because that was the year or the week that i landed in the us and i still remember the day that i landed uh the very next day that is uh, i was jet lagged and i just turned on the laptop and that was the day when our balma had released and then uh obviously you had some of your uh, uh we'll get into that you had some of your songs released uh that year as well so awesome so so coke studio was when you guys started to collaborate and sort of work together is it I mean, even on Coke Studio, we didn't really collaborate, but we, I mean, in terms of songwriting, uh, but that was the first time that that episode sort of kicked off the um, realization that we worked well together. So I think that was where the small, uh, you know, we were like, oh, okay, we work well together. So we should think about taking this further. And uh, after Coke Studio, we formed Anantal together with uh, Vijay Prakash which was one of the most exciting projects I think I've ever done. And uh, I think I speak for Clinton as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, a world music project, which was just, I mean, something that we, uh, we never expected it to turn out the way that it did because each and every song was just so unique in terms of its songwriting, identity, everything. I think Anantal, we're really proud of it, really proud of our album. So uh, I think that's when we started 
I don't know, you want to talk about what would happen when I would come in for an Anta's session. Yeah, actually, so, I mean, basically, the idea, the idea was that we, um, I al- always knew of, uh, of her being a fabulous singer and I was like, very often would call her for jingles when uh, the vibe suited her, you know, her voice or whatever. And we ended up working quite a bit on a few jingles and stuff. And um, so, as a result, when I was working on Coke Studio, I had finished five songs. Um, and uh, I was looking for that sixth song. And that's when I remembered a jingle that was lying on my hard disk for a period of one year because it had got bounced by the client. And that's a jingle that she had sung for me. It was a very bizarre kind of uh, script and a film. So uh, the lyrics of that jingle were, you think I'm crazy, but I'm not. Uh, you know, when I close my eyes, the lights go out, uh, all that stuff, you know, lie awake in my head, fireflies, uh, you know, uh, it was fireflies, that was the yeah. first, you know, not your secrets, fireflies in my head. And that was that firefly was because it was a telephone commercial and uh, it was something to do with, uh, you know, this dormitory and um, every, you know, all the boys were passing text messages while uh, pretending to be asleep. So they were actually chatting with each other. Every time someone would send a message or receive a message, that person's phone would light up. So if you <laughs> saw the dormitory from the top view, it looked like there were fireflies because one, 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 like one phone was lighting, the other phone was lighting. It was a very interesting film. And uh, the director happened to be a very close friend of mine. Uh, I'll tell you why I'm speaking about him because uh, when we speak about Anantal, um, uh, I'll speak a little more about him. But uh, especially that jingle got bounced by the client probably it was too forward thinking or whatever but uh, that jingle was just lying on my hard disk for one year and I pulled it out one afternoon and I just um, started composing the Hindi side of the Hindi you know suffix of that melody and it really that's what became Mojena and became this cult you know thing this became this massive almost bond like kind of um, mm-hmm. cinematic song and that's when I called Bianca back and I said, listen, you, I don't know if you remember that jingle you sang for me a year ago. Now, well, well, it's going to be a whole song and it's, you know, it's going to be on Coke Studio and, you know, uh, would love it if you could just come down and sing it. And when she sang, when she, sa- when, uh, when she sang on Coke Studio, the, I mean, it was goosebumps right through, right? I mean, it was one of those things where uh, it just was made for her, that song, you know, in a sense. And um, I think that's uh, that's when we kind of decided to start working a little more together. Vijay Prakash also, you know, had sung another song with uh, with me on Coke Studio called Banjara. And uh, of course, Sonu Bakar did Madari, and uh, you know, so we started a band uh, uh, called Anantal with with Vijay Prakash, Bianca, and me. Um, in fact, Sonu was potentially going to be a part of it as well. But then she had, uh, she was pursuing a lot of solo stuff at that time. So it ended up being the three of us and we did this album. And uh, now the the same director who had this, uh, you know, shot this uh, jingle that uh, was, that became Mojin and the same director happens to be a very close friend of ours. I mean, now. And uh, he decided to direct our first video we shot for five days in Ladakh. And uh, the video of Inayat, which was our first single as Anantal, 
was an amazing experience and uh, i think that project um led me to actually discovering bianca's uh, other side like besides her being a singer i discovered that she's got an amazing sense of melody songwriting and also very forward thinking production ideas sometimes they were diametric diametrically opposed to my own and uh, i just thought wow there's some uh, you know interesting rub and conflict that's kind of happening when we work together so we should try and uh, but the results are really uh, engaging and interesting and you know greater than the sum of its parts in a sense it's almost uh, you know like something i would never have thought of if i was composing this alone so that was intriguing to me and uh, you know when we started meeting a little more we decided to form shore police because i think her strengths lie in pop and i was also trying to break out of that fusion a uh, tag which coach sudha had given me to some extent it was great while it lasted but i also wanted to do a lot of more pop and a lot more i wanted to experiment with a lot of lot of other genres as well mm. so i think that's where uh, shore police kind of gave me a little bit of uh, you know creative freedom in a sense to write and uh, work with the genre that i am not otherwise known for and uh, that's where you know that's where the germ uh, i think started mm. yeah you mentioned that uh, you re- started to realize bianca's potential after you uh, heard her sing in coke studio and sort of that ladakh trip and anantal and all of that right so uh, i i wanted to ask you you know you had worked with bianca in the past you had uh, known her uh, for now 20 years now right and uh, known her from the ads world or the jingles world um do you think the jingles the 60 second jingles or the 1 minute uh, one and a half minute jingles sort of uh, does not let you understand the full potential of uh, a singer um, and uh, is that too short to uh, sort of explore all the possibilities not really actually i I'm, i would like to say that you know indian advertising has been through many uh, you know phases and i think that i was uh, fortunate enough to be a composer and she was fortunate enough to be a singer in one of the best phases of advertising where there was so many uh, directors who wanted to experiment who wanted to do something out of the box if you see indian advertising now and you compare to you compare to the ads and the jingles that were done 10 years ago and how memorable they were you could sing them and i challenge you to sing any jingle that's been composed in the last one year i i you'll have to you'll have to really think hard because somehow that um, ethos has changed you know and it has changed uh, uh, in a permanent you know in a permanent way i don't know if it's ever going to come back but uh, i think we got to uh, to do so much of experimentation that was very easy actually to make out uh, you know where a singer can take uh, a song and where a singer can take a melody and uh, but that was a surprise actually frankly when when she came and she sang what became mojena na when she sang that jingle the a year prior i had seen a side of her that i had never seen before actually and it was like uh i was i was like shocked to to some extent i remember the studio we recorded it at and i remember all of that and i remember actually uh, for the first time um uh literally uh, changing my opinion of how uh uh you know she delivers a melody and and actually um thinking about using her in the context of 
you know much bigger project because otherwise before that i was always thinking of her in the context of a jingle and everything but that song the way she rendered it the way she delivered it was there was some uh, um real mastery in that and i was actually uh, uh, i was actually kind of that became the germ of where we are today i think that that was the first evening where i actually thought um you know um, that this can really go somewhere mm. yeah that, what that what happened plays me also that <laughs> it was very out of the box for me uh because i was used to um a certain type of being called for a certain type of um uh, style and uh, this was so different that i feel that there's one of the things that uh i do when i get behind a mic is i always put myself in the situation of that character in the song and for me it's very important to even if it means changing my style a little bit and that's what i think advertising teaches you to do is be versatile uh because you just can't come in and sound like sound the same on every single ad it depends on the on the music it depends on the feel it depends on the kind of vibe that they want it could be like cheerleader vibe one day that you get into a studio the next day it could be some operatic thing <laughs> the next day it'll be something like mojenena right so you have to like really get into the uh, mental space of that character and i think that's what i did i just kind of channeled that uh mood which was kind of slightly borderline creepy <laughs> yeah it was dark for sure it was dark it was dark and i'm not used to that style naturally so probably that it was too dark for the brand yeah i think so <laughs> but it's great that you know sometimes when jingles get bounced you realize that at least in this case um, hasn't happened very often but you realize that sometimes the destiny of a melody is much bigger than what you initially planned it to be and i think mojana is a perfect example of that hmm is destined to be something bigger than a jingle yeah to your point of how advertising has changed i think i completely agree with you like um you know early 2000s late 90s there were so many ads that people used to actually sing like just like a movie song or or whatever right and um, and now i don't know it could be my stage in life but uh, if if you are saying that people still don't remember the ads there must be some truth to it and it could also be because uh, you know the cable television uh, as is is kind of ending at least here in the us and i'm pretty sure with the uh, ott well, yeah. platforms and all of that uh, i'm sure the situation is no different in india and i was actually listening to shilpa rao and and, and she mentioned that uh, you know now brands have full length songs and they are releasing it on youtube and that's sort of capturing the attention uh, i think she quoted the example of tanish i think that, that they did mm-hmm. one uh, probably a couple of years back uh, so yeah advertising is changing as well um so uh, you mentioned about anantal and uh, what what happened to it uh, i know you mentioned you released an album and then people just parted ways busy lives uh yeah pretty much <laughs> you want to talk about it? uh no i think that uh, i mean it's very important for the longevity of a group to for, for all members to be on the same page and i feel that um, if there's a slight a uh, shift in that then it can affect the group overall so i think it was a mix of uh, people's schedules 
just putting you know i, I mean anantal was not a mainstream project so it could never compete with like our bollywood shows or any of that it's it's something that would need would probably need more effort than you know the benefit that you would see out of it but uh, it was a all heart project and uh, i mean we're really proud of the album that we did and uh, i mean everyone that heard it yeah <laughs> loved it yeah. <laughs> and i think those were the best bunch of songs that we came yeah, up with at that time and i i just think that uh... you know commitment wise uh, uh if everyone is unable not not that they don't want to they probably want to as well and we all want to do but i think uh that life happens to different people at different times you know and uh, at the same time you know you can't uh, always predict how uh, somebody's career is going to take off etc so uh, it just felt like uh, uh for us specifically because of the fact that uh bianca spent a lot of time with me during anantal and uh, she was a little more present than i would say than vijay was and vijay was able to be because of all his reality show stuff that was happening in the south and uh, his constant touring etc so we kind of uh found ourselves working a lot more as a duo as opposed to you know us being a trio and uh um, at the same time it kind of let us explore each other's strengths and weaknesses as composers so it just felt organic for us to you know um just put our efforts into something which can probably speak uh, equally about both of us as composers and i think that's what show police became it became this um uh, uh it became this uh, kind of um project that you know had potential to be larger than you know just one album or you know had potential to do ma- many many different things and i think we just beginning to scratch the surface now of all the all, all that stuff mm. yeah and and the creative industry be it music or movie making um you know it involves a lot of uh, i would say uh, comfort zones right uh, and and a lot of people who uh know each other and have known each other for a long time tend to work together and people sort of uh say it as you know cliques or uh you know nexus or or uh, caucus or whatever but at the end of the day it's comfort uh it's it's about how both of you know know each other and uh so what i wanted to ask you is that uh when you're producing as a duo and when you were producing an album as a as a trio uh is it pure friendship or are there contracts i i just want to understand how this works like are there legalities involved when it's more than one person involved in a project uh i i think usually there should be uh, <laughs> there should be at least when you know when uh, it comes down to uh, like brass tacks you know when you're actually writing you are meets in the studio and there's always that bhaichara and there's always that you know friendship and there's a lot a lot of great vibes but i guess once that uh, once the pleasantries are over it's important to specify um you know and it's important to lay down certain things and i think that uh, uh if you're working with people who are reasonable then i don't think there's ever an issue as far as that is concerned unless you know things go south and you know you you start seeing differently and you don't see eye to eye and whatever and then then obviously things can get ugly and but i don't think i've ever been in that kind of situation especially with musicians yeah. 
with uh, production companies and all that's a different story <laughs> yeah there you got to really be uh, on your toes most of the time yeah and even then it's very hard to kind of get even one clause in that you know is in your favor at least in india especially it's yeah. very very hard because uh, we i mean uh, contracts are very very one sided i'm sure yeah. it's that in the it is the same well. here as well i mean we we also what happened with uh, ticketmaster taylor swift and you know the the whole music label versus uh, creator debacle has been going on for a while here in the us as well so yeah it's no different and i don't think it can be any different because it's just the big players who uh who take most of the cut but um let's come back to shore police we'll we'll get to this a little later uh the name shore police how did you come up with the name is there a story behind it well, we have uh, kitten's wife dominique sereo to thank for that <laughs> she also coined anantal by the way so since she uh, was doing so well it the first time around <laughs> it's obviously play on the game that we all our childhood game uh that we i'm sure you played it as well show police so uh, and show of course is noise and it goes with the with music and all of that so we just it was the perfect fit for us hmm. yeah cuz it's a fun we, we wanted a name that wasn't like anantal is a very serious musical in is is got an intense vibe because tal is rhythm of course and anant is infinity so it's it's a it's the perfect name for a fusion kind of uh, jazz fusion project whereas we wanted this to be very different we wanted it to be it to be funky fun and something you know very current very young and so i think uh, yeah dom dom uh, you know thought of this and we were like both yeah that's amazing it's a great name yeah it's an exciting name see and we always get this question how did this name come about <laughs> Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't link it to Chor Police, but but really? now, now now no yeah I thought yeah maybe it's just I just never thought in that Very direction. Obvious. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> you've been living you've been living there for too long. See. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. May I just did not tune in that frequency. Maybe yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, great production. Uh, I. specifically love channa meria and uh, it has reached 4.4 million views uh, what was what was the idea behind uh, channa meria i feel it fusion when we thought of uh, doing the song uh, we i mean of course we kept in mind the lyrical <laughs> content as well and we realized oh my god if we switch this from ballet to anything else people will either love us or hate us <laughs> right yeah. it was that kind of thing so it was a bit of a gamble and we're so glad that it paid off because it just i feel that it, it's so unexpected when it gets into the the weekend song that people are just like whoa like we didn't see that coming <laughs> and the, the the bed for it lends itself so beautifully for the the bed of the next song which is the the weekend one that uh, we just love the combination and I, i guess that's why it shows why it's done so well mm. yeah extremely good production quality what did you want to add was, no i'm just saying that it's years old but <laughs> very often when we do our you know gigs for like you know if you're playing with someone's wedding or something we'll get that uh, you know request uh, for that song specifically that particular mashup because people have really loved there's something very organic about the way the songs fit together yeah and mm. we tried to do that actually with uh, we tried to do it with the mashups 
uh, that came after that as well because we wanted to keep it always unexpected yeah uh, and also i think at that time there when we started doing it there were loads of people doing mashups obviously it was not a new concept but we just felt like people were doing it a little randomly sometimes yeah. <laughs> just not taking into account the the chord structure of that song or just like diluting it completely yes. with some brain dead uh yeah. <laughs> you know two chord thing when it was actually yeah. there would be some really beautiful songs but because so maybe it was, of, it was belpuri was not a, not a mashup yeah yeah maybe it was becoming belpuri it, it was like sometimes you hear mashups and they they sound a little forced you know because it's just two great songs people just want to put them together they don't care about whether it actually works musically so i think whenever we do a a, a mashup that's really important we want to make sure that musically we do something interesting and we don't just Correct. like shove two songs together yeah yeah that uh, <laughs> couldn't agree more yeah I, I i totally i i think that's why possibly in my head i wanted to do mashups right yeah like if you guys want to do a, a mashup be musical about it that's all Yeah and I think I remember a couple of times thinking to myself oh we're taking so much trouble to do this mashups and there are people just doing anything out there right i mean is it really worth it but then you know i we have to be happy with what we've done so and we are <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, it's a fantastic production and obviously singing uh i wanted to ask you about mashing up indian songs with non indian songs and um, the indian music system is heavily raga based so when you uh, when you listen to a song sometimes some other songs unknowingly uh, pops up in your head and it's usually because they are both of the same raga but when you are mashing up with a non indian song are there some things that you consider i mean you did mention about the lyrical uh, uh, aspect of it uh, what are some of the things to to look for when to find the right mashup And as you can see lyrically we don't care about whether two songs go together yeah but it's hard uh, to, it's hard to kind of because uh, you're mostly thinking of the melody and the beat yeah, i think those yeah. two things the melody also the also since we are a male female duo oh, one yeah. thing to think about is and we used to have oh, immense God, problems so hard is because uh, you have to match the keys yeah. of two songs you know sometimes the range the songs may even be in the same key or they may be in cl- you know closed rel- related okay. keys but the range like let's say if the uh, a song that i'm going to sing and then she's going to come in or uh, you know then how do we because if a female is going to sing that song then has to be a, a, about a fifth above a male key you know so uh, it would all these musical uh, decisions would have to be taken so lyrically you know we would uh, not give it that much uh, you know yeah uh, thought yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. but clearly yeah it was really hard there there are tons of mashups that we've started and just dropped but they no but actually having just not working out right. why so. but having said that a lot of successful mashups which we haven't released where we perform yeah. them uh, mm-hmm. live on our show please so yeah. on in our show please gigs we do over an hour of only mashups just mashups you know and then we go into the other regular you know uh, uh, bollywood set or english whatever we want to do but we do a whole bunch of mashups that aren't released and the reason we didn't release them is cuz i think the industry moved on to some extent at that point 
when we released those there were a lot of covers that everyone was doing online etc then it became the trend became to do more originals so a lot of people just started releasing original music so we decided not to release those uh, uh, you know to represent us on youtube we perform them and they they go on really well hmm yeah uh, you know i think after tw- 2014 is when the whole uh, independent music scene really uh, jumped ahead in india uh, coke studio was the reason there was music mojo in the south uh, and there was actually a channel called rose bowl uh, in kerala that promoted a lot of independent musicians uh, before that it was just bollywood and obviously there have been some notable mentions like uh, uh, the colonial cousins falguni pathak and and so on uh, so when you started shore police did did the fact that youtube was so popular play a role uh, in in that or you would have started it anyway have you ever thought about it uh no i think it definitely played uh, a rather significant part because we wanted to uh we also thought of what would it sound like if we twisted songs around and did them our way you know not the way that everyone's been doing it i think youtube was the main platform at that time you know like spotify and all that were very uh, not the way they are right now where streaming yeah. is so big streaming wasn't big and it was all about youtube so your youtube numbers were pretty much the only thing that mattered mm-hmm. even insta wasn't as big at that at that time yeah. insta was just about getting a little bigger but it was all about the youtube numbers back then like i mean i think like 4 5 years back youtube was this one thing that if you did the youtube numbers i think now it's reached a stage where youtube has become more information based and so you would you know podcasts and like you know you getting all your information on any subject under the sun from youtube but you're not consuming music so much on youtube you're consuming music more on streaming and you know the other platforms for that but back then yeah you're right about youtube dictating um, you know uh, uh, a lot of uh, creative decisions and that's how it was for us as well i mean hmm. i don't think even thought about am i am i right we didn't even think about where would where do we take this beyond putting our music out on youtube yeah. we are we looking at this as a live act are we looking at doing an album it was just you know let's see what happens we yeah. just put it on <laughs> and then take it as it comes and then the gig started flowing in and things yeah. just you know they just changed the scene changed of yeah. course like you said we started doing originals after that because that seemed to be the trend so um yeah we also started composing uh, for films actually i don't know if you yeah. um, yes yes absolutely. i was going to get to that uh, the so medium for the wala for the question <laughs> no no yeah i was going to i was going to segue into uh working um w- doing the pgm for dobara uh and and also janeja uh, i don't know janeja was was a duo or was it just clinton how how, how was that it was it was short police it was short police okay for and, some uh, reason credits on wikipedia say clinton uh so so that's okay. but but yeah it's it, that was a short police film so the thing is um I think it started with just one song actually with like pretty pretty much started with with uh, Januna Bob. from yeah from Bob Biswas actually it just started because uh, uh, Dia Ghosh uh, uh, wanted a very Billy Eilish kind of uh, song of that vibe and I actually called Priyanka and asked her to come on board with me to compose that song because we had all started writing so much as Shore Police right. and i was doing the film on my own 
but that that song turned out pretty cool and then dia thought it would be great to have her on the rest of the film as well and uh, yeah i called her on board and like uh, you know the bob biswas turned out so good and mm-hmm. before bob biswas we actually done another film called blind so blind uh, or released much later on jio cinema it's the the sonam kapoor one so that film kind of went a little under the radar uh, because maybe promotions were not you know adequate etc but the the soundtrack was something that we were really happy with uh, in terms of uh, the compositions that we were allowed to do by the director shom shom is such a cool uh, guy and dia was as well dia dia being sujoy's daughter so working with uh, shom and uh, dia it kind of uh, gave us a certain sound and gaurav bose who's the producer of uh, uh, you know jaane ja also and 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 dobara as well so gaurav loved the songs of blind so much that he actually got us to meet anurag and we drove down to pune where anurag was shooting uh, uh, and uh, we actually met him and uh, you know he also liked the vibe and that's how we composed that entire song and did the score of dobara as well and um, and he also so easy to work with actually yes we absolutely were, yeah we didn't know what to expect <laughs> but full freedom so i know not just that so for me i let me let me uh, you know maybe i'm talking a bit too much here, but like, i want to just talk about from the perspective of somebody who's been a composer for 15 18 years before i start working with someone else so you know i've always had this very independent uh uh kind of point of view you know and it's it was only much later when i started working with bianca on anantal and whatever i realized that uh, there was something different from me taking the point of view of anybody else in the studio who are all other producers besides me like everyone else in my team Uh, who are younger producers they are all music producers as well so as a producer there are certain things you never question because you just have been doing it for so long so i would always be when working with her i would be like no you can't do this like this can't be done it's like you know uh, and she would say why so i i would be like what do you mean why it just can't be done like i mean you know it, it, i'm not like i'm not going to get into it to explain why it can't be done but she wouldn't take no for an answer and she would like i mean you know uh, have you actually asked why so then i would actually ask myself why and actually actually actually, actually you know what maybe it can be done and let me try it and i would try it and actually it would turn out to be something that i thought was so cool but i never thought of that i never i would never otherwise think of it because when you work individually as long as i have you form certain uh, you know you get into certain patterns as a composer or as a producer everything there's certain things that you start loving to do and you there's a certain way you end up working i mean someone breaks that and like you know completely is like perpendicular to that you know then very often you realize that it's a conflict or it's a rub and that creates something that you would have never otherwise done yourself so actually the film stuff as well this it started with like producers really liking that uh, sound and that vibe and it, which is why you know for me i said that you know what i don't mind giving this a shot and let's do more of it let's see where it goes and it seems to be you know 
uh, I mean, I'm having uh, I'm having fun doing it because I think that it's just made stuff a little more fresh for me again. Hmm. I don't think that Shore Police would still be around if you didn't think like that. You know, the guess, yeah. the yeah. amazing thing about uh, Clinton is that is is that exactly. that he has been doing this for so long on his own and it's not easy uh to suddenly open up your world to someone else and it's not just like a one off collaborative session right this is like okay this is how it's going to be working with someone else <laughs> okay so i better get used to opening up a bit uh maybe looking at things differently and that's why associations work that's why teams work bands work it's because you're willing to think of us things in a way that's outside of your own in a way that you're not used to that's the only way if you introduce and you allow new ideas that's the only way things can work right and that uh, in turn created a new sound which is short police so i think when people hear the work that we've done together a lot of people have said this actually they're like it's strange but it sounds like clinton and it sounds like bianca it's how does it sound like it sounds like two people <laughs> Yeah so the it doesn't sound completely like you Clinton but it doesn't you know it's just i think the byproduct has been yeah. really new and fresh and interesting I think it's is... the musicians who feel who feel that way either yeah. mostly the musicians kind of observe it Yeah yeah uh the executives usually still think that I've done everything uh <laughs> and uh, you know uh, it's something that she has to deal with because of the fact that she's working with and as such an established composer in a sense she she has to like um deal with the fact that sometimes people tend to underestimate her contribution and uh, i'm saying that openly uh, but uh, it's something that uh, it is what it is yeah it's something that yeah. she's i mean brave enough to uh, deal with on a daily basis but uh, not uh, you know let it get under her skin yeah uh I wanted to ask you exactly the same thing is that Bianca is predominantly a singer and Clinton you even though you sing you are I think you you love composing more than singing and arranging and all of that right uh, so so yeah I was going to ask what part of uh, the composition or uh, the the BGM is Bianca's contribution because as a singer you will have a completely different perspective uh, right so uh, Uh, how do you chip in is it is it difficult to put on that composer's hat bianca uh actually it, i thought it would be a lot harder i mean it's still uh it's very new for me but the thing is that when we started working together in my head i always thought uh you know clinton's the one that knows how things go he knows um, you know the formula or whatever if there is one you know so i would always ask him okay how do you work i mean how what is your process and how do we do this right but as we started working together i realized that uh i had a completely different way of looking at things and looking at a scene whether it means uh thinking about the dialogue more than the music or uh thinking about the situation more of course we all as composers have to think of the situation in that uh particular scene but i think for me uh initially it's less musical and more emotion based so i'll uh think of a melody or I'll think of an idea musically based on the mood first or based on uh, a particular dialogue that has just happened so uh, i mean i didn't I, for me that's just what comes naturally 
I wasn't really, I'm really thinking about, okay, what's the correct process? But um, as we've been working together, uh, Clinton also has realized that, oh, okay, you know, that's not how I would initially approach a scene. So it's interesting that you are looking at it like that. So I mm. guess there are different things that I have, you know, that contribute to mm. yeah, so, uh, the process. Where, where, where I would, uh, you know, um, uh, how I would comment on this is that I, I uh, am a reader. Okay, so I read. I mean, I generally, most of the time, if there's a film that's based on a book, I will try and, I mean, I will mostly have read the book first and then be doing the film. Whereas she watches a lot and she's coming from a very uh, US TV kind of uh, space, I would say. If, like, if, you ask, if you ask me musically or cinematically how she thinks, she's very uh, cutting edge, like edgy TV. Like, you know, what, whatever the new show is or whatever the, she's kind of already got that sound in her head to some extent. And I'm sort of more traditional orchestration, sometimes a little different way of scoring a, a scene or scoring something. So she would always, I feel, sometimes see a, see a scene. I would be seeing it from the perspective of musically, how can I make some theme and then move forward with it. But she would actually just see it very cinematically. What are the moments that we need to capture first? And uh, not necessarily score the whole thing, or you know, let's maybe not have music here, or let's have, you know, I mean, which sometimes a decision that I would probably take at a later stage, once when seeing when sitting with the director, sometimes she would have a strong point of view about um, about a scene, and she would base base it on couple of dialogues which for her were pivotal to the whole scene. And I would be seeing it from a more holistic perspective of how do I build this theme to the whole film, to the rest of the film, and how do I relate this? You know, so it was an amalgamation of styles. It was her having to think of those things which she would not otherwise have thought of. But me being a music producer and composer, uh, trying to, uh, you know, say, listen, we need, we need to, let's try and get a certain central thematic idea first. And then, you know, let's try and apply it in these places. And then when uh, for her sometimes to tell me, you know, I feel that this scene is being, is, 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 is too melodic. You know, it needs to maybe just be textures or just needs to not have that much melody. So, uh, so that, you know, the, the characters can come across stronger, whatever, you know, it's a, it's completely two different ways of of uh, seeing the same scene and us both getting something out of it and then you know trying to shape very often uh, you know even through working through disagreements that we may have you know and we kind of we are very democratic about it i feel that when we have ideas and we bring opposing ideas to the table we'll have to somehow let one idea live and sometimes i can't i can't always let that be mine hmm. Yeah, makes sense. And that's how uh, uh, most of the partnerships work, right? Uh, not everyone has to c contribute in equal measure. Uh, people can fill in voids, people can complete the other things that the other person is lacking, and, and so on. And to your point uh, on how Clinton was, you know, uh, was doing his work in a particular way, and I, I think it applies to life as well, right? I mean, when you're looking at 
let's say car manufacturers you know they were making internal combustion engine cars for years and years and years and it took a completely different uh someone from a completely different uh background like an elon musk uh, who did tesla and now everyone is pushing towards uh, electric cars so i think it's 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 not just music but it's everywhere you know these kind of examples so uh that that makes total sense uh one of the things that i wanted to ask you uh, ask you guys is um uh you know jingles have you guys done any jingles together or has it only been uh, movies and uh, independent uh, music we've done quite yeah. a few actually no actually yeah <laughs> we've done a few quite a few branded projects actually if you see our website you'll see our whole section with with branded content that we've worked on um, as short police also and again that was a, i think another new uh, thing for her as well but i think her her real forte lies in composing really sticky hooks if you ask me if you ask me that's the one thing that i knew from the beginning you know i didn't know a lot of other sides to her uh, composition style i knew that she knows how to write a very sticky hook that's something that uh, that within the first month of working with her i realized that her ideas are simple and effective right so whereas my ideas because i think of uh i think musically i uh, i i do have a strong vocabulary musical vocabulary so i tend to draw from a lot of things so as a result sometimes my ideas can be slightly inaccessible as well um and uh, uh, when it comes to jingles uh, that's one thing where she i don't think she had to try too hard because her basic instinct is Uh, to write something that's very memorable just just by just by uh just very naturally it seems to come uh, to her as well and i mean i think because of the fact that i've done so many jingles myself uh it's something that uh, resonates with me as well and it's something that i can do uh, you know with in a slightly different way hmm. but uh, yeah. yeah so which is why we i think we've also been the you know we've had success with jingles also the advertising industry is has you know has also changed, changed to some extent <laughs> it's no longer what it used to be yeah by by that i mean like budgets and you know there's a lot of different people a lot of different players so i don't know if it's a very exciting place to be anymore hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but i mean also started when i started doing ads with clinton i was like how can i possibly contribute to this you've been doing this like for so long <laughs> but uh, again i think like when you write a song it's uh, i would think um you know let's not overcomplicate this or or whatever because i know that he is great with coming up with i mean on the on the musical front it's i mean uh, it, it's always so interesting the stuff that clinton comes up with but uh, sometimes in an ad scenario you just want stuff that sticks in your head and you know little things and in my head when we first started working together i would always screen my ideas and maybe not say them at first go because i'd be like no oh, it's just too simple and he'd be like no no but just 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 sing it anyway just tell me <laughs> and it would just work so well when we actually uh let the idea flow that it it would just come together and yeah, yeah, uh, you know it. i think that's why yeah and hmm. also i think that um when it came to ads uh it's not that i needed 
uh, uh, work with a partner or something. Okay. It was primarily because we started working as short plays and the brand was getting some visibility. So for us to do branded content as a duo would make sense because the brand would be putting the money in promoting that that particular piece of work. So if the brand is going to be putting money and you're going to get free marketing in a sense for our, our melody, we may as well do it as a, as, as a duo because, uh, you know, we want to anyway do live shows together. We want, uh, you know, as show police, we wanted to reflect in um, uh, all aspects, right? So it was kind of a, a more a business decision in the beginning. Yeah. But then it, I realized that, okay, even the ads are turning out interesting and turning out like, okay, I mean, I would probably do them differently on my own, but but this is also working, you know, very cool way, you know. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's constant discovery in a sense. Yeah, it's been a fun ride so far. <laughs> <laughs> While researching for this podcast, I was uh, trying to see uh, how Bianca got into singing and I could find very little in the public sphere uh, about you, about how you got into singing. So tell me more about uh, what led you. Uh, I actually grew up in Dubai and that's where I started singing just before I think around the 10th grade, 9th grade, that, that sort of thing. And I started singing. That's in a couple pretty of late to get into singing, right? Uh, I mean, where people actually knew in the school. I was a very shy kid. So I would be in little singing contests maybe by the um, eighth grade, ninth grade. Yeah, because I, I was rather shy. And uh, it was only like my mom heard me singing in my room once. I would just come back from school. My daily routine would be coming back from school, uh, spending the entire day in my room listening to music. That that was it. Yeah. And singing because I was into Mariah Carey at that time. <laughs> so, Obviously, it's really hard to sing softly when you're singing Mariah stuff. So my mom heard me one day and she was like, oh, okay, this, this, I think my daughter has some potential. And she told all her friends that I could sing. And it would have never happened if it wasn't for her, actually. I would have just stayed in my bedroom singing. So she kind of pushed me to do, do a lot of stuff that I ended up doing. And I ended up singing in school. And everyone suddenly realized, oh, wow, she can sing after all these years. <laughs> And by the 10th grade, I joined this little band in, uh, you know, it was like this teenage band, basically. And after my 12th, I uh, left Dubai and came back to Bombay, uh, relocated with my parents. And I met a couple of people in, I didn't know that I wanted to go to college or no, because I just, I knew that I wanted to sing. And by that point, I knew this is, I was very clear, this is what I wanted to do. So uh, I met a couple of people in the industry and I was really lucky in the first year that I was in Bombay, uh, the few people that I knew and heard my demo or whatever called me to sing in their bands. So that's how I started. <laughs> I started singing in bands, uh, started traveling and then I slowly got into the advertising scene. It was It was not really easy at that point because again, everyone had their clicks. Uh, but um, people were a lot more open to uh, voices at that time and um, yeah I started singing for ads and then slowly for films and I think that's when we met each other around that point yeah so there was no formal training no not for me yeah <laughs> pretty much self-taught and along the way I did a couple of lessons here and there with vocal coaches in Dubai I didn't have that much uh, there weren't too many people training back then 
and even when i came back to bombay there weren't a whole bunch of people like today mm-hmm. vocal coaching is has become a huge thing right so it's really easy for you to get trained but at that time it wasn't so pretty much self taught yeah wow that i mean four years i mean we are talking about 10th 11th to uh, relocating to bombay right before college and uh, sending your demos that's that's a significant uh rise uh, and and clarity on on what you wanted to do uh, yeah uh, how did your family react when you said that you probably don't don't want to go to college i was really lucky actually because my mom's whole family was from a musical background my grandfather was was a really famous like hawaiian guitar player and my mom was constantly in the whole mumbai jazz scene in the in the 60s and the 70s she never sang herself but uh, she was surrounded by musicians constantly so she was always exposed to that side uh my dad my dad's family came from a very academic background so they were not too happy about it but uh, i have to say that it was if it wasn't for the support of my parents because they really believed in me and they thought that this uh, that i had tremendous potential uh and they wanted to see it through so they gave me that opportunity to do my thing and i'm so grateful yeah mm-hmm. isn't the story fairly similar with you as well clinton academic family uh and then you <laughs> you know sort of uh, uh start in school but no formal training right no no not really no formal training but at the same time i think with me i didn't even want to do music actually Hmm. I I I think I'm one of those people that I don't know if I've I've said this to my friends but I don't know if I've said it ever in a podcast or whatever I still feel that today um you know most people who are musicians they always come from that place where they say music is my life mm-hmm. and music is the only thing I see myself doing I can't see myself doing anything else apart from yeah you know um, Bianca being one of them um i was just going to say <laughs> but i feel that uh i could do uh, i'm the, i'm one of those guys who i feel if i can do anything creative and be good at it i mean you know uh reasonably creative also i mean i feel that even if i was doing something else i was you know if i was you know um, a photographer or if i was a, a videographer or if i was a editor uh you know uh i would i would be equally good at it i would be equally good at you know does that zero I, does that boil down I, to having a good taste if i learn to cook if i actually if i learned to cook properly and like you know spend the time i would be a great chef i think i would i would i would do anything creative that involved constructing something you know if i was if i had learned architecture i would probably be a great architect as well i think i personally think that i i'm i'm not necessarily built to be only a musician music music is what i decided to do but uh, it's not me i'm like music doesn't define me hmm. oh, this is the, the first time i'm hearing it from a musician because like you said everyone uh, always says you know music is my life there is nothing beyond music uh, 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 yeah, but so but i was asking oh, i've never felt that about music actually the funny thing. but i was asking how um, maybe it's because fundamentally you have a good taste uh, as a creator be it photography or yes so even writing for example i you know if uh, being a food critic is something i would probably be if i wasn't a musician and uh, 
uh, I love writing about food and about lifestyle in general, not just food, uh, you know, just lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, that's something. Uh, it see it, it exactly. It's an it boils down to a, an aesthetic. Mm. I think I have an aesthetic. You know, it's my own. You know, me. You may you may like it. You may hate it. But it's my it's my aesthetic. And the thing is that I am. Uh, very clear about how I can bring that aesthetic out. Whether I'm editing a music video, or if I'm composing a song, if I'm producing someone else's song, or if I'm, um, you know, uh, writing a food blog or whatever, I'm just, I'm just confident that I will be able to bring my aesthetic out in uh, in everything I uh, I do creatively. Mm. And you have done it with uh, video editing, actually. Yeah, I mean, yes. he literally uh, studied it for months on end, and eventually edited all the videos, all of the videos of uh, "Well Hello" the, our album, which which just released this year. <laughs> all the videos were edited by Clinton. Yeah, people talk about outsourcing editing because that's the most uh, laborious part. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and yeah, I feel like. Uh, uh, I I enjoy it, so you know yeah. it's just that's the thing. I mean, I for me, it's uh like when I was uh, younger as well. I was, I was okay to like you know my parents because I was from an academic family. I never thought of music as a career. I was going to do my MBA, and uh, now that's something that I feel is is not really very very creative. It's more. Of course, it can be creative, but at the same time, it's very administrative, and I don't think I'm administrations something that I'm, uh, you know, that is is uh, is something that I would ever be great at. So uh, um, uh, when I started studying for my MBA, I started studying, and that you know that cat book started looking like Greek to me. You know, I started booking college to go for recordings and stuff, so it became clearer. That I was enjoying the music musical side of it. The mu- I think music was something that uh, was the most accessible at that point. It was hard to do anything else that was uh, that was creative, but music seemed to be. All my friends were musicians as well. And, you know, it seemed to be something that was coming very easily to me. And also, people were giving me that feedback. They were, oh, you're gifted in this particular, you know, field. So it's something that I stuck with, and something that I started doing more of. Hmm. And but, also uh, maybe being in Bombay, right? Uh, that also might have sort of added your uh, uh, accessibility, so to speak. Yes, I mean, I mean, I was born, I I was born here. I was born in Bombay and I'm brought up in Bombay as well. So I I think that uh, the city is quite uh, merciless that way, you know. So I being from a family where there was no entry into uh, music apart from. Just going out there, starting from scratch, you know, making contacts, doing whatever you have to do to uh, to make it. Um, there was no free lunches, there were no free tickets, there were no free passes into uh, any any side of the recording industry or the live industry. I had to, you know, just slog every day and see where it takes me. Hmm. How were those early days like? Because these, you know, these days uh, you. Sp- sometimes send an email uh 
or there are requests on Instagram and so on. But, uh, you know, giving out demos, was it just, you know, you recorded uh, in cassette and just gave gave it to... My case, I was, I was just a singer when I started and I was, uh, you know, I was in college and I started, uh, like I said, bunking college and going for backing vocal sessions. And those days we would earn like about five, six hundred rupees a session for back, backing vocal session. And I, uh, I remember... Um, you know, finding that uh, earning six, seven hundred rupees, you know, a college kid is a lot of money. It's mm-hmm. a, like it's a lot of money. So I remember thinking that wow, this is cool. It's a cool way to, to make some side, you know, side income. But I was always studying and I was always uh, also doing that. Um, but very quickly, the minute I started getting serious about it after my TY, I realized, and in fact, my wife is instrumental in making me realize this because. My wife Dominique was practically because uh, she had a head start on me. Uh, uh, most people don't know this because she's, uh, but she's uh, older than I am by a significant uh, amount of years. So uh, she was uh, already very, very established in the jingle circuit. She used to do two or three recordings a day at that time, and I was pretty much jobless. So uh, um, I asked her, "What does it take to be a jingle singer?" And she told me this one thing that always stayed with me. She said. You know, when you get behind the mic, you have to knock their socks off. I remember saying this one phrase, knock their socks off. If it's anything less than that, they'll never call you back. And I was like, wow, that's a tall order. I, in fact, you know, it, it really made me realize that at no point when I get behind the mic, do I knock someone's socks off? <laughs> I've never been able to do that. So I realized I better learn something else other than singing. You know, let me start learning arrangements, production. And I started teaching myself the keyboard and the guitar simultaneously and, you know, whatever. I started getting more serious with my music. And uh, I took a loan from her and I bought my first keyboard, actually. It was an XP80. And I used to spend a lot of time, you know, in a very small house in Mahim. Uh, when I grew up with my parents uh, on just that one keyboard uh, practicing and trying to trying to you know what uh, trying to what trying to you know just create make some sense of that thing you know and uh, uh, started what what was like the basic building blocks of production and uh, uh, before I even met my first client for like for a song or whatever I had probably done maybe three four hundred songs on that machine just on my own you know just to learn um, you know uh, a little more about it and then uh, one thing led to another and I started getting more and more work as a music producer and uh, but essentially it came from that thing of you know I I need to learn something else I'm, I might not be great if I was just a singer I might not this might not be um, you know very lucrative for me because uh, uh, I don't think especially back then because advertising was the main thing that people were, uh, you know, into the film industry was a very different place. So um, everyone wanted to be great at advertising. All the cool composers were doing ads, you know, back then. Mm. Uh, so, so Dominique, uh, all those years ago, and she also told me that she gave me that advice because it took <laughs> it took me quite a while to figure the scene out, you know, because. I didn't really, um, I mean, I thought that all I had to do was like give my tape around or whatever and then people would just call me. 
but it didn't work like that because uh, i think when i i started working with one or two people and you have to learn how the business works you have to learn how uh to even whether it means how to sing behind a, a studio microphone i knew nothing about i just knew how to sing solos you know <laughs> i didn't know how to how to actually uh, give the client what they wanted when it came to a product yeah how to interpret this how yeah i had no clue and that's something that i really learned along the way i learned it on the job i learned it listening to uh, other singers you know when i was in uh, a session where there were uh, like two three singers and i was singing with them i learned things like voice control changing your tone rounding your tone you know i had no clue you don't know how to do these things as a solo singer you know you only learn the stuff when you are singing in a group uh things like singing with more air less air more tone i had no clue how to do these things and uh it's really exciting when you when you figure things out and you figure out your voice and there are all these different sides to your tone that you never knew existed and then it starts becoming fun till then you're just like why am i not getting work <laughs> you know and i realized that it wasn't about the demos i think at that time it was more about it was just uh uh word of mouth right you yeah. someone heard your voice on a jingle and they liked it then they would ask around they would ask the engineer that they were with or they would ask you know one of their buddy producers you know do you know who sang on that that's how you would get your next job right mm. so uh, it wasn't really about the sending out your cds or demos mm. you know? like mm. yeah a bit of a side track but because you uh, mentioned z- uh, jingles uh did you guys uh, get to know kk uh, qu- quite a bit because i i've heard that he uh, he sang a lot of jingles and i'm a huge fan of his so uh, any yeah. memories with kk more uh, i think your time and dominique's time rather than mine yeah yeah later. kk was a buddy yeah. he was like uh, but also uh, he he and dom were very very close actually they were cuz they used to i don't know how many maybe countless jingles they've done together i used to just like what in fact um with ranjit barot ranjit barot was like like the one of the top jingle guys at the point and so they had a trio it was kk shankar mahadevan and dominique and ranjit would prob- call these three like i mean you know dom dom would be at ranjit's place maybe three or four times every week you know and ranjit's uh, to bring one of his sessions and i mean among, among all the other sessions that she did but most of the time it would be shankar kk and dom behind the mic three of them would sing uh, stuff together they would do like you know things in unison things in harmony and all that i remember uh, uh, you know uh, very fondly kk being part of that scene a lot mm. yeah and i think uh, uh, his uh, i mean yeah his loss I, i it was it was really shocking um, and one of the things that kk did uh, fantastically well is concerts I, i think he had a tremendous amount of energy i remember watching him live and uh, i i was wondering how someone can sing for 3 hours non stop with with such energy um, so yeah i just i just thought about him so i thought i'll ask um, most yeah Maybe. yeah absolutely uh, clinton no interview with you is uh, complete without mentioning ar rahman uh, so how did you meet him uh, and how did alai payude happen so yeah that that was uh, another thing that just kind of 
you know by chance pretty much it was literally i used to do a lot of vocal arrangements back then i for ranjit and for quite a few composers in bombay and uh, i had done uh, vocal arrangements on one independent album song i think and it was being mixed at a studio called 4d which was in pravadevi mumbai and uh, it was being mixed in studio a and i wasn't even around actually it was being mixed a week after i had uh, worked on it and uh, ar was um, in the corridor eating a evening having an evening snack and the door was open the door of studio a was open he was working in studio b actually and the door was open and he heard the harmonies and stuff and he came in and he asked who's done this arrangement and the engineer who was on that session Um, uh, he called me that night and he told me that you know what, uh, AR was in town. I just want to tell you, I was mixing your song uh, and sounding amazing. And AR was in town and he asked who's done this arrangement. And these guys never said your name. They said no, no, we've only done it. The composers. I won't take any names. So, um, uh, so he said, uh, but I just want to tell you that AR heard it and he loved your work, man. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it's sad that he didn't they didn't give credit. but i just want you to know that uh, you know he had loved it and uh, i was like wow that's good enough for me at least you know mm-hmm. ar really liked it that's so at that's... this point ar doesn't know clinton i know cuz they said yeah no no we've only done it like you know just in <laughs> very say my name please they did that yeah anyway so the point is that happens it's, it's like anyway so uh, it just happened like exactly one month later bharat bala apna you know bala bala was doing um, uh, the uh, national anthem uh, with ar and ar was coming to mumbai to do a whole uh, couple of days with uh, hariharan all the mumbai singers who were going to be part of it asha ji and hariharan and uh, you know was the takshak no 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 this was for the national anthem janagana oh, okay okay oh yeah 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 I I remember that yeah, Bhim Sen Joshi and yeah, exactly. So all the Mumbai singers he was gonna dub and he was gonna record and they're gonna do audio and video together at at uh, CMM Studio and uh and another friend of ours a common friend uh, Samantha um she uh called me up as a singer because AR uh wanted a choir for the end section of the of the anthem. So Samantha just called me up, saying that would you like to be part of this choir? It's for AR. So I said, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the he needs about ten or twelve singers. So I reached that studio before anybody else. You know, I reached that studio bright and early, and I went and met AR. He was alone, and uh, just his engineer and he were there. And I just said, uh, you know, I just want to tell you that um, uh, you may not remember this, but you were at 4D about a month ago. and the door was open and you heard some harmonies when you walked in and you asked who's done this arrangement i just want to tell you that i'm the guy who did that arrangement you know uh, so he looked at me and said oh you did it so i said yes i did that arrangement oh then i started talking in tamil to one of his engineers i mean he was there and he said okay wait come here come here come here. and he took me to his keyboard and he started playing this chord progression and he said so this is what i'm playing for the national anthem for the whole end section and if you know ar like uh, he'll just he'll never play something more than once you know so he played this entire progression i was like razor sharp in those days back then uh, 
I was like, you know, breaking down harmonies by take six and I mean stuff that I would never do now. You know, probably, but I but I used to challenge myself a lot with all that kind of stuff back then. I was so mentally, I was like hyper focused. You can say like it's like being on speed. You know, at, uh, musically being on speed. I was like, and I got down that entire progression in that one. The one time he played it, I I had like a photographic memory of each all those chords. So he said, okay, so uh, write the arrangement for this. So I said, when? He said now. So I said, in my mind, are you serious? Like the, I should have maybe not said anything, you know. That I'm <laughs> like I, uh, I that I did that arrangement and all that because now this is like, if if I don't you know do this, then. But I literally I just like whispered a prayer and I just started and the singers were there by then. I started just putting on one harmony after the other, and uh, started building this whole big block of you know sound and in a way and. By that, by the time I went back out and asked where Ayar was, because he was nowhere around, he said, "Engineer told me he's gone back to the hotel. He's asked you to finish the song. You know, he's like, yeah, he's saying he's, he's loving what you're doing, so he he's just gone back to the hotel. Just finish it." I said, "Wow, okay." And then a week later, I got a call to uh, come to Chennai to work on some project. It was Mudal one. It was Mudal one. And when I when I got there, I found out. And um, I ended up. I wanted. I took. I took clothes for only two days because he told me it's a two-day trip. I ended up staying for twelve days, and I had to go to the mall to buy clothes. And uh, you know, it was the first trip. Then after that, I kept going there. I kept you know working in Chennai, and of course uh, worked on so many great projects. Uh, Takshak, like you mentioned, being one of them. Um, uh, all the money that them. So of course, Kandu Kondein as well. Rajiv Menon. um yeah so yeah it was uh, it was a great time it was a very fertile time i would say there was so much music happening in chennai and that i was a part of and it, it can we got that comfort level where i would sometimes go to chennai and find out that he has not even in chennai he's in london or he's in uh, you know la and jeva the engineer would just play me the song and would fall asleep while playing the song because he was so underslept most of the time so you would hit play and he would fall asleep and uh, i would ask him what what do i have to do on the song and he would say i don't know he just asked me to play you this so then i would pretty much do whatever i need to do i would do some arrangement sometimes i would program some things on it or i would call a guitar player sometimes i once i called like three guitar players because i wanted like a like a trio kind of sound i wanted them all to play something together and you know i called three guys who had different sound i called rupert from bombay and i called this like kabuli and i so i called yeah yeah Yeah, so I would I would just do that. Sometimes I would like I would just call some singers from there, like four or five singers. Kartik being one of them. Kartik was a backing vocalist back then. Kartik is a massive singer right now. Yeah. So anyway, the point being that um, he we had that trust level that you know he didn't even need me to he didn't even sign need to be around and I would just do my thing and then I would take the flight and come home. and then i would meet him sometimes a month later or something and he would say i would ask him you did you hear that thing that i did say oh yeah it's released already <laughs> <laughs> it was very good it was very good like <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so the first time i uh, i got to know of you was from alay paide cassette and uh, from pache nirame uh, yes. and then Yeah, so so I, I I noted the name, and then after that I went to uh, 
went to college many many years later and that's when i happened to see um, the la concert uh, of air rahman in 1999 and that's when i saw you oh this is the person clinton sereho and i i couldn't even uh, pronounce sereho properly back then so <laughs> that's a little uh, yeah, that's a li- it's, uh, it's yeah it's been such a great journey and uh, of course everybody so many people have learned from ar and uh, kind of uh, he's been an institution in himself yeah, mm. yeah uh, i've heard that uh, ar rahman works very differently uh, and uh, he gives a lot of freedom to the producer uh, and i've also heard that a lot of the times ar rahman is not in the studio it's usually srinivas uh, or uh, someone else who who works so um you know is that any different from the actual music director being uh, in the studio uh, how is this whole production work because um, common people don't know about this a lot uh, they they think that music director does the music and he does everything from a you know a to z so uh, could you and bianca tell me about what a producer does and what what arrangements are done so i think Uh, she also had the opportunity to meet AR very recently, and AR's like actually on Nexa. Yeah. Loved uh, one of the songs that she had composed on Nexa and was like uh, composed with me. And he he was one of the people who recognized that this composition is different. So he asked me if I worked uh, worked on it alone or with someone else, and I said no, I worked on it with Bianca. And he said let me meet her, and I uh, took her to meet him. Uh, that time uh, and uh, the funny thing is then we worked a couple of projects with him um and uh, when you, i think that ar first of all i think people need to understand that when you are in that seat as a music composer your main job is people management and your main job is first of all to front the project as that final decider in terms of what music goes down on the tape what music goes down on the final product and you are responsible for that so i mean i have always been i've been on the other side of things where i have been a programmer for 17 18 years i was a programmer for vishal ji for vishal bhardwaj for sel for pritham for vishal shikhar for anu malik for ismail darbar and ar and a, a whole bunch of other people as well so i have known exactly what it is to be on the other side of things and i know what it's like to be in that position where the movie carries your name you know it's not necessary for you to put down every note yourself but every note has to be run by you and you have to be responsible the final thing is if the film if the music is a flop music uh, you know a, a flop product is your name that gets either the credits or the brickbats right so you have to have some for that to have to shoulder that responsibility you need large shoulders whether whether or not you're putting on every note yourself or whether you have a whole team of people who you trust point is that the client is coming to you right the client is is sleeping at night well in his own bed thinking ar is doing my music or whatever clinton and bianca are doing my music it doesn't matter who's actually finally putting down the notes and yeah. your your shouldering the responsibility that's what a music director is and not everyone can do that 
Yeah. Not everyone can do that. I mean, now that we've been working together on films, also there's uh, with the background scores, there are there are other producers that are working with us, that are working under us. But at the end of the day, even after all those pieces come together, we have to make sure that they're all cohesive yeah. with the film. If there are bits that are not working, we'll actually rearrange them or we'll sit down with them and figure out what needs to be added or we'll redo them, you know, but whatever it takes to make sure that it sounds like one whole Yes, there have, been, there have been times when a couple of other producers have worked on something and then the yeah. directors have bounced it multiple times and then sit, then Bianca and I will sit on that piece and get that cue approved finally because we the, finally the buck stops with us, right? Yeah. Mm. And I think that's also we make sure that the main themes uh, we sit down and compose them ourselves because we want to make sure that the building blocks of the score are quite uh, strong and the foundation is strong and that the, the other producers that are working on it along with us are very clear about the that but this is the page we're all on and if we're not then we all need to get there okay because we all need to be on the same uh we all need to know what the thought of the film is the vibe of the film and uh so that we can work together and then everything sounds cohesive mm-hmm. so yeah interesting you mentioned uh vishal bharadwaj and i think the work that you did for omkara is is stunning uh you know i, I think it's one of my favorite albums of all time like every single song is so different uh it's very unique and i think omkara was probably one of the first movies uh released in 2006 right it, which which explored uh non-bombay non-punjabi india you know i think it was one of the first movies uh I, probably gangajal also released around the same time but uh that's sort of what made it unique and the music was so different so refreshing um uh, i i can't even uh, tell you how many times I have listened to Naina Thaglenge uh, and uh, Oh Saathi Re uh, I mean fa- fabulous fabulous music and I just wanted to mention that Thank you, you know, I appreciate that and I also learned a lot from that another relationship was which I treasure even to this day is Vishalji and uh, you know Vishalji and Rekhaji and also uh, Hitesh Sonic Hitesh and me became uh, you know uh, co-producers on a lot of music for Vishalji after that and uh, it's a relationship that I think um, was another thing that you know we had a lot of conflict as two producers who had different styles but a lot of great music came from that conflict and I, I really appreciate those years that you know I learned a lot in that phase. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, let's move to Coke Studio. Uh, we spoke briefly about Mojay Naina. Uh, how did that opportunity come uh, to both of you guys, uh, uh, Bianca and uh, Clinton? Uh, how did you uh, sort of thought about? I mean, it's it's not a mere, uh, it's not a small project, right? The you did five to six songs with them, uh, and uh, two seasons, so six songs in each season. Six songs in each season. Okay, uh, so yeah, that's a relatively long project. So how did you go about it, and how did that opportunity come to you guys? I think it was just like they, they were looking for uh, producers in season two because I think in season one, Les Lewis had done uh, yeah. the entire season of Coke Studio, all the episodes of Coke Studio. And maybe at that point, they decided to change the format. They wanted to each uh, episode to be uh, led by a different music producer. And they were looking at music producers. And I think that at that point, I was... Uh, 
quite well known because of my work with uh, Vishal Bhardwaj already as a music producer. So since this was a music producer led series, um, they they reached out to me, and I kind of took that opportunity and ran with it in a sense because I think the first time ever in my career I was given a blank page, you know. Uh, otherwise, I'm so used to as a session artist having a brief when doing jingles. Also, every morning, what is a brief? It's the first question you ask, right? Your client, or even <laughs> if there's a film song, what is the brief you ask your director? There's always a character for you to compose to. There's always a situation. But this was the first time in my life I was dealt. I mean, I was dealt with a. I mean, I was given a blank page, you know. And uh, there was no brief, so I had to like ask myself, what is my brief to myself as an artist? The first thing you know, I have to first look, uh, you know, inside, soul search, and find out what I want to say as an artist. That's the main thing. And everything else is just execution. You know, everything else is easy for some for somebody who's got facility as a composer or as a producer, which I did have a lot of facility by then. Once I figure out what I want to say, it's easy to say it. But to figure out is the hardest thing because every day I'm working with a brief. I'm working with something. Somebody else tells me what to say, so I don't know what to say. I was blank half the time. I was like, I, I, I had to uh, literally say no to a lot of ads in that time, hmm. and I had to say that okay, I'm going to come here. I'm going to sit in this studio, in this room with uh, my keyboard, just like available with the piano stand. Or whatever, and I would be on Facebook. I would be doing something else, but I would have that keyboard open at any given point. That if an idea would come, I would be able to play something. And uh, literally, I for thirty-five, forty days, I just did that as an exercise, where I just came. I would sit down. I would not take up other work because I had to. I had to like isolate myself and ask myself what I want to say as an artist. I did not know that. That was the main thing. I did not know. And then the the inspiration came, and that's when I started working on those songs. And then I called them for the first uh, listening session, and they were blown away, and they loved it. And you know, then I was able to develop the ideas. Hmm. Just want to pause you there for a bit. Uh, when you say they, uh, I want to understand how Coke Studio works. I mean the the guys at MTV because MTV was handling that properties, so it was the creative team at MTV that was taking all those calls back then. Okay, so so uh, it's not Coke Studio. Like Coke Studio is not some independent. No, no, Coke Studio is just a a brand name that was coined by. Uh, it was a property. It was a name given for a property that was like owned by Coke, pretty much. Okay. So okay. Coke Studio is not any particular place. A lot of people <laughs> have that thing that where is Coke Studio actually? There's we we shot at Reliance Media Works. We could have shot anywhere. <laughs> we shot at a basic film studio. So uh, Coke Studio is just a Like a uh, the name given to that property, hmm. and how was your experience like, Bianca? Just uh, first of all, I love every single song on uh, that season. It was uh, on the episode that you did. It was just incredible. the The songwriting and the the choice of vocalists for each of them. So I was, I mean, I was more than happy to be part of this uh, exciting project. uh also the whole the the idea of also um the way that it was formed 
on that stage with all these musicians it was just just a beautiful environment to be in and uh, i mean when i i didn't even know what this song would sound like like a full blown song because at, in the initial process i uh, at the initial point i didn't know uh, what was going to go beyond that jingle verse that we had <laughs> but when i heard the whole uh, the indian section that was put in it was just so beautifully put together that it didn't sound forced in any way uh, the coming together of those two ideas the western and the and the indian that it was just so fluid and yeah i was just really happy to be part of it i'm glad that it got so well received yeah, so, yeah. i want to pick my i got to be for the next one as well with ah, yeah yeah <laughs> and i don't think mojenena receives uh, uh, enough views uh, on youtube but it's it's a it's a fantastic song i think i think it's quite underrated and i would highly recommend people to check it out uh, my favorite though is bana uh, maybe because of uh, classical music uh, background and um, <clears throat> you know when i started talking to you i i realized that you don't have any formal training in classical music uh, clinton so bana is like purely based i'm guessing malkons and uh, you have uh, rajesh vaidya go berserk uh, on the veena uh, so so someone with a uh, someone with not so much of a classical music background how how did you pull it off and how do you uh, how do you uh, sort of um, uh, how do i say uh, decide on the solo part uh, with with someone like rajesh who is quite a maverick do you uh, give him a free hand or do you have anything specific yeah, that so you I, want from him I, the funny thing is that i feel that um when uh, i've had some great teachers i, I would say that vishal ji be one of them he are being one of them and uh, more than even these two men um, uh, uh, a composer called rajat dholakya who is a jingle composer not anyone outside the advertising world knows of him but i think he's just one of the most brilliant composers uh, in the country and he only does ads i don't think he does ads now because he's far too old but i did i had the pleasure of working on a lot of lot of ads ads with him and he used to write tunes the whole country would sing for example like pepsi ye dil mange more is his mm-hmm. you would have heard his work for sure because i think the whole country's heard his work and would have not known it's him but um he was one of i think uh, my most like the most visceral memories i have of learning indian music in its really rustic form is with him and um, i would say that um i still don't have a uh, in depth knowledge of rags i have very very rudimentary knowledge of rags but uh, what what i did was i kind of composed with that restriction you know i started i started you know when working on coke studio uh, and even working on another film project called jugni where i was uh, you know kind of where i had to write very punjabi folk oriented kind of compositions i used to write i used to treat the keyboard like a harmonium you know and in fact i even bought a harmonium at some point in the process uh, because i didn't want to color uh, melodies with all my harmonic knowledge i wanted the melodies to work on their own and because that's the fundamental difference between the the ethos of an indian listener and the ethos of a western listener a western listener is used to hearing a melody even if it's the simplest melody even if it's jack and jill or even if it's happy birthday 
is uh, western listeners used to hearing the melody with chords behind uh, that melody and an indian listener especially a classical listener is used to hearing every note in the melody only with respect to a sa and not a chord so that's a fundamental difference and when you compose coming from western school it's very easy to lean on your harmony for it to color a melody and that's something i refrain from doing while composing i would actually just compose based on those limited notes that a rag would give me uh, you know and then would try to use my western sensibility later when i you know don my producer's hat to then color that melody but while composing i would never use chords to make a justify you know what melody i comp- compose which is the fundamental difference when you're composing in the western school and the indian school hmm. yeah people are going to hate me for this because i am spending so much time on mojenena and bena and not touching on madari <laughs> uh, when you compose <laughs> madari uh, and when you recorded it did you expect it to go so viral uh, because it is sung in so many competitions it's sung in so many uh, colleges no uh... no no one from mtv also none of us who were in the team or even in the production team nobody thought that madari was going to be a runaway hit that it became or uh, it was just one of the songs it was literally one song and i think everybody was focusing on sathi sathi salam mojenena all these being the like, favorites right madari was one of those things that went under the radar actually but then when it released somehow that one song just shot like a rocket somehow it just kind of it just dwarfed all the other songs in terms of the numbers of number of times it was being shared and forwarded and all all of the above i still yeah, remember I th- the first time you played me the mix of madari he played it for me and my husband human and we were like wow he loved this song and he's like did really? <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i mean i think what worked for madari was uh, there was the vishal dadlani part and the female part w- was something that nobody would have expected i think that's Absolutely. what made people go wow yeah um okay now coming back to shore police um i am going to pick my favorite uh, which is yaram uh, and uh, would love it if you guys could perform yaram or anything that you prefer okay so we'll go, we'll we'll do one of our songs from our debut in shalom actually for well hello and uh, um, it's called over the wire over the wire yeah shall we do that yeah Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> that, that, was, that was really good. Vayan, uh, you should, uh, you know, to everyone listening to this podcast, please, check out our debut english album it's called well hello and it's available on streaming, all your yeah everything. all your favorite streaming <laughs> platforms please check it out yeah and i'm glad uh, the with the arrival of shore police sort of coincided with uh, spotify getting big in india uh, uh, at least the la- later part because spotify i know it took a while to come to india 
uh yes. it yeah it, it, it took a while i think uh, at least 7 8 years uh, because uh, i still remember people sharing their uh, uh, spotify playlists and all uh, from from europe and uh, sweden and what not and then i was like oh when is it going to come to india uh, yeah. but glad that oh, it I didn't mean, yeah and so I, now there is gana and savan and all of that as well so uh, uh, it's a good time it's a great time yeah there's just there, there is i mean it's a great time but the flip side is that you just can't hear everything because mm-hmm. there's so much content but yeah. uh, of course it is uh, a great way playlists and all of that stuff is a great way to hear new artists uh, which is what's always good when you have a new album and when we um, debut our album to get songs on playlists yeah. with international artists and all of that i mean there's nothing quite like it because uh, i mean you're getting your music out there people that want to listen to a taylor swift song for example you'll find yourself you know next to a taylor swift song or you know whatever one republic song yeah. so uh, it's really exciting that way because you get to hear a lot of new music mm. awesome uh, before we end this podcast i wanted to know from you bianca um, so i come from a classical music uh, background and uh, it has been difficult for me to uh, even though i enjoy a lot of pop songs uh, it has been difficult for me to sing uh, pop songs because of accent uh, and i have noticed that uh, singers who come from uh, the us uh, britain or new zealand australia all of them have a neutral accent uh, and i noted that with you as well so uh, give me a sense of uh how how you get that like is it something that naturally comes to you because you started off with uh western or pop style singing uh and uh, and a sort of a second part of that question is is it difficult for you to adjust to indian uh style of singing uh yeah i definitely think it's because i grew up with uh, western music i grew up with english music that is just second nature to me i mean i also don't uh, speak any other language at home so i've always only spoken english so that's a, I, i suppose maybe another factor uh, but it's always it's never been something that i've had to work at uh, although when i did come uh, when i relocated from dubai it was a big thing for me even though of course there are tons of indians in dubai just like a mini mumbai there <laughs> but uh, and i learned uh, hindi in school so it wasn't really a big deal but again i never spoke it at home and you don't speak it uh, anywhere outside like to a shopkeeper or whatever like you do in mumbai so the language was a really tough thing for me to uh, it, it was definitely a hurdle when i got back because i was well versed in only western music and i was completely clueless about indian music so it took me years to uh, get comfortable with the language initially it was just like a, I, i didn't even want to do it because i said what's the point in me doing it my heart is not in it so it was quite a process it took me a while to enjoy uh, bollywood to really understand the culture uh and when i did then obviously the the diction got a lot easier because i studied it in school but yet when you sing it it's completely different right mm. so so i only learned on the job 
again another thing that you just learn what what was some of the early feedback that you got was it, was it some of the words that you were not pronouncing i i definitely uh, my diction was was not great and i just moved to bombay it was there was definitely an accent even though i tried my best to uh, get things right it's just something that you have to uh, work at you know like any other language i suppose for me it's weird but hindi was like that it was like having to learn like a spanish song or something and, and sound authentic in it so it took me many years of just i think it comes more from listening you know the more you listen to uh, indian music the more you listen to uh, the way they say certain words it's kind of like if you only knew hindi and you decided to sing english one day you there would be these small telltale signs that you don't actually speak the language right so that's how it would be with me it just would not sound authentic even though i thought i was saying everything right when i listen back it was like this still sounds like i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> you know what's wrong here so it took a lot of years of understanding it listening to different singers uh that my finally reached that point where i was comfortable and i'm comfortable with the language now so yeah <laughs> mm. Yeah that's fantastic because uh, I've noted that uh, when people speak from different countries even though they are all english speaking countries there is a distinct accent that comes with it but when people sing it's it's fairly neutral so just wanted to get an idea of how you how you do it uh, okay so final question final question for the two of you um ai is taking over the world and uh, you know we all saw what happened with uh drake uh, you know there was an ai generated song of his that was uh, a crazy hit uh, how do you see all of this going hmm? the ai versions of arijit and kk yeah yeah <laughs> um, what did you think of it i don't think it's it has reached to the level of perfection uh, yet but uh, i think probably 8 to 10 months down the line uh, it will get there wow. and you know i constantly see uh, modi ji singing channa mere ya and what not so you know <laughs> as I, i want to sort of get into the mind of a creator and uh, uh, like what are your thoughts like uh, you know uh, it's just losing it right now okay right. <laughs> okay <laughs> like suddenly within uh, i don't know uh, which i don't know when when did chat gpt come uh, late december uh, last year so yeah. that was chat gpt but then all the music related audio uh, stuff uh, probably early this year hmm one year yeah hmm. <laughs> uh, i mean it was pretty quick right and it, it just did not allow the time for creators to adjust and sort of even think or ruminate about it so uh and i'm i have been listening to a few podcasts uh, related to ai and reading about things and to the listener they don't really seem to care if it's a human generated one as long as they are having fun so what's your what's your question regarding ai what's yeah my question? question is uh, as a creator uh, are you in panic mode because one is uh, the recording and the albums themselves and the second part is live shows because that is not going to change right live shows people are going to have a good time they want to go, want to go out so is that going to be the way forward do you think you you go first i have a very strong convictions yeah i i 
the good thing is that yeah it won't affect the live scene but uh, i mean i hope that people realize that um, i mean the amount of uh, work that has gone into uh, making the making of an artist is not something that can be easily replicated so uh, it's of course it's it's scary for all artists across the board but uh, i suppose we all have to figure out a way to work around this and you know see where it goes i suppose so i'll i'll tell you that before ai started composing music now which has already started composing music for the last 5 years we've had a lot of humans composing music like ais only like as if they are ais because they are working with garage band loops they are just taking one loop <laughs> taking one uh, you know like cubase chord uh, progressions cubase gives that whole chord tree where you can like if you you put you drag a drag and drop a c then it will give you an f yeah. or a b flat yeah. or it give you permutation combinations or a name i know songs yeah. that can go after that and a lot of people are making music like that so why not ai replace those people i'll be very happy <laughs> let, let ai replace all those guys because frankly they don't deserve to be making music they they don't know the whole language of music and they're just making music and frankly that's what's flooding the market the market is not being flooded by greatness the market is being flooded by it's being it's hard for you to spot greatness because you're trying to find a needle in a haystack yeah. so mediocrity if, is everywhere yeah. much ai actually like renders all these guys jobless then you know what will stand out the one person who has a point of view that's true that that's what will what will stand out and that's the only one person that will still be making music that and is that's an interesting take yeah Yeah. You know that is an interesting take because yeah it will sort of do this vetting thing right uh, that uh, it's going to take off all the people who are almost eighty percent doing exactly what AI is doing now so <laughs> that makes total sense musical refresh <laughs> in a sense honestly honestly I feel like that I'll be I I'm I'm actually waiting for AI to get smarter and get smarter than all these guys because it will not never get smarter than the real musicians. that it will, that will, it will never get smarter than the real musicians hmm yeah that's a that's a very strong statement uh, and and i'm glad you made that because yeah i always wanted to know from a creator what they think about it and honestly i don't think live shows are going to go away because people are always going to uh, want to go out and have a good time and we saw that in the pandemic you know there was heavy investment made in technology everyone was thinking that they would go remote but uh people do crave for uh, a good time and uh, uh and camaraderie and all of that and that's the only way we all can grow uh but uh, bianca clinton thank you so much for being on the show it was fantastic talking to you uh and uh, all the very best for shore police and really looking forward to all the albums that you guys uh, come up thank with in the future thank you so much thanks for having us once again yeah it's been a pleasure and uh, thanks for and you know off the record just want to ask you very very you know before you conclude we noticed that you have so many people from so many different walks of life on this podcast so like what's what makes you tick and what makes you like so interested in so many such a varied diverse subject matter on your podcast <laughs> yeah so i um, i had different interests growing up so i was interested in cricket i was interested in food uh, and you know over time uh, i just invested 
in consuming content, uh, not just through YouTube, but I mean, reading and all of that. Um, so I have a fair idea of, like you said, uh, Clinton earlier, uh, that you have that creative knack and you know that you can figure it out, uh, be it photography or, or cinema or, uh, you know, cooking. So I, I had interest in a lot of fields. Um, and when I say interest, not in doing it, but uh, in getting to know what is it all about. So uh, I always wanted to know why a certain thing is a certain way. And that sort of uh, took me into a rabbit hole. So uh, then life happened, you know, college and work and all of that. And then I realized that I was not doing anything about it. Uh, so uh, I thought I'll start a podcast and talk to people from different walks of life and what that has helped me is that has helped me uh, get a lot more knowledge in different walks of life and not just that when you're reading an article you are only reading what is written right you can't uh, counter question or you can't double click on uh, some of the things that the article says but this way because it's conversation um, I'm getting to sort of grow as a person as well and I hope the listeners are as well. <laughs> 